Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 146, You Are My Brother. I want to dive right into Alma chapters 23 and 24 today and talk about the change that the Lamanites are undergoing at this point in their history. My intent, I'm going to be honest with you, is that after this episode that you'll have a deeper appreciation for the degree of change that is taking place in their lives. It's truly miraculous. If you don't believe change is possible, this is the portion of scripture that you should spend a lot of time getting familiar with. And my desire after this episode is that you'll want to, that listening to the examples of these Lamanites will actually open up your eyes to what is possible for you. Change doesn't happen overnight. (laughs) And I think we sometimes do ourselves a disservice when we read the scriptures like it's a novel. Now, don't get me wrong. My most powerful experience in reading the Book of Mormon was just straight reading it through, not looking up cross-references, just reading it to understand and absorb. I loved those people at the end of the Book of Mormon. I knew it was true. But sometimes, and I just want you to be aware that sometimes we do do a disservice to ourselves, that we read it as if all of this change, all of these miraculous conversions and events are taking place bada bing, bada boom. For example, ta-da, the Lamanites completely changed their ways. All is done by the weekend just in time for them to get baptized and then go to church. And it's this kind of distortion of thinking in our minds as we're reading it like a novel that we start to think, well, why can't change happen that fast for me? Maybe the Spirit isn't working within me. Maybe God isn't with me. What's my problem? So just be aware that this mission of the Sons of Mosiah, it's spread over 12 to 13 years. Still, that's a relatively short amount of time for these drastic changes to be taking place. But think about If you were to implement these changes, where would you be in 10 years? That's something to think about, isn't it? So, the task before these Lamanites, what they have to face, and the work that they choose to do, is to accept and then go and convince one another that their traditions, the ones that had been passed on to them by their fathers, were wicked. So what does that mean? New traditions are needed, right? new ways of doing things. And that is a complete understatement. (laughs) It's a complete understatement for the work that they are going to actually need to do. Think about it, just changing your dialogue regarding a people that you once swore were your enemies. That would take a lot of mental power, wouldn't it? What healing would need to happen first? Perhaps admitting your point of view was wrong? Changing your language around how you talk about or refer to the Nephites? Striving to find the good in their ways and then having the humility to start implementing how they do things, right? Can you imagine the jealousy that must have fueled the hatred of the Lamanites for all of those years? 
We get glimpses of it in the previous chapters. Remember, the people, they're recognizing that those darn Nephites, they've been delivered out of our hands time and time again, while we're just losing a whole bunch of brethren in the fight. Or take the Nephites' industry, their beautiful things that the Lamanites are plundering and coveting. Or their organization, their relations with one another, their trade, their prosperity, their business ethics, their hard work, their political structure. It's all of that that the Lamanites are now faced with creating for themselves as they've covenanted that they are no longer going to be idle. And with the Savior as their foundation, building upon his gospel, a major building block that the Lamanites are going to put into place is the truth. It's embracing this righteous truth that we are all brothers and sisters. Isn't that the belief that makes a society thrive and be successful? It's practicing the first and second great commandment, isn't it? Because in order for us to be brothers, we would need to have a common father or a common God. Imagine for a second what trial of yours would literally evaporate if you just full-heartedly accepted the belief we're all brothers. How would you be more free from suffering? And another takeaway from these Lamanites is the truth. It's possible. It's possible for us to get there. And it is the difference that the Lamanites were aiming to accomplish, to not just see their sworn enemies as their brothers, but to also see their fellow Lamanites as their brothers too, because remember, they plundered from one another as well. Their moral relativism, it applied to anyone. And what does it take to see someone as your brother? It takes seeing them as the same as us, right? It's paying attention to our similarities and not our differences. It takes us being less self-absorbed and getting really curious about others and their experiences. It takes accepting differences and being willing to just live side by side with one another. It's that dual tolerance, not one-way tolerance, dual tolerance. And treating one another mercifully, just better than they deserve. Because we, it's that belief that we're all trying our best. And that we'll get there. We'll all get there. Different paces, different time frames. It takes humility to place others' needs as great as your own. And then to truly care about their welfare. And creating brotherhood also takes a commitment to wish no harm let alone inflict any harm upon another soul. Which brings us to the proclamation that the king of the Lamanites sent out to his people. He was telling his people that they were not to lay their hands upon Ammon or Aaron, Omner, Himni, or any of the brethren that were going to be traveling around preaching in the land. Can you imagine how dramatic <laughs> that difference must have been for the Lamanites? It's a complete 180. And what's interesting is all of the descriptions of what not to do to this group of Nephites that the king lists out in his proclamation. It reminds me of what a mother must do when they have a very naughty child. She must anticipate 10 steps ahead of what the impulse of her child might be. And I think the king of the Lamanites, I think he knew his people really well. He said there's no laying hands upon them. 
no binding them, no casting them into prison. You shouldn't spit upon them, smite them, or cast them out of your synagogues. Don't scourge them. Don't cast stones at them. And you should let them into your homes and your temples and your sanctuaries. It's quite a list, right? And though, like it says in the chapter heading of chapter 23, this is about religious liberty being established. But what stands out to me is the change that the king is trying to make in his people, the group think that he's trying to change. Because changing traditions is changing the way you think, isn't it? It's changing what you value. It's changing your culture, your relations, your laws, and the way that you govern. The good news is thousands of Lamanites were brought to the knowledge of the Lord, and thousands were brought to believe in the traditions of the Nephites. And how is that possible? Have you thought about that? What fueled their desire in their heart to change? And what opened up their mind to envision that that was even possible to change? This change happened because they were taught the records and the prophecies which were handed down even to the present time. They knew their history and they were taught from scripture and from the words of the prophets. The Lamanites were changed by truth. Not by yelling at them, not by shaming them into change or jamming Bible verses down their throats, but they were taught in righteousness, in truth, in humility, and I'm sure with some boldness. How often are we afraid to bring up scripture because we're afraid we'll offend someone? Or maybe people will be bored by it. How many of us have made the mistake of when we're teaching teenagers at church of not getting them into the scriptures? They might be bored. They might not understand. Not fully realizing that it is the word of God that has the power to wake us up and to ignite a flame in our hearts, a desire to change. We see that happening in the priesthood power that is accompanying this teaching of the sons of Mosiah. In verse 6, it tells us that Ammon and his brethren are preaching, and it's fueled by the spirit of revelation, the spirit of prophecy, and the power of God that was working miracles in them. And I think you can call that power, you can call it mercy, you can call it grace, but most definitely it is the atonement of Jesus Christ at work. And all of that is priesthood power. And once again, the people accept the truth of God's plan. And they accept the truth of Jesus Christ. And this group of people, they never will fall away. They become a righteous people. They lay down their weapons of their rebellion. They didn't fight against God anymore. They didn't fight against their brethren anymore. And this right here in verse 7 is the complete elimination of pride. Just imagine if you were no longer affected by pride. If you are no longer afraid, because pride is a fear problem. It is. No longer would you battle the natural man and his desires. But instead, you would operate from your true divinity in full confidence of who you are. And you would honor the divinity of others. People who are no longer afraid don't worry about not being enough. They know their possessions don't define them, or their property, or their appearance, or even their performance, or even the opinions of others. That doesn't define their worth, and they know it. 
Their true identity, they know, is that they are a child of God, and that defines them. Imagine a people who are no longer afraid of missing out or not receiving their due share. Imagine all of the behaviors that would disappear if we were sure of that. Imagine them trusting that good is coming to them because God is the giver of all good gifts and they trust him that that good is going to come unto them. So they aren't afraid that their best life is being withheld from them. Imagine all the behaviors that would disappear if we embraced that. A people without pride are no longer in competition with their brethren. They aren't contentious with one another. They're not conceited in thinking they are elevated above others. And they also aren't wallowing in self-hatred and insecurity. Lies, deceptions, falsehoods, corruptions, they just no longer have power over a people because the people aren't fighting against God. They're not pretending to not believe in Him. They're not acting as if they don't need Him. They know they do. They need his truth and they operate from that. Imagine if pride was eliminated. What would our society be like? What would we be able to create? How would you be different? What would you be able to go out and do in the world? Now, there is opposition in all things. And though thousands had made these covenants to God, there were those who didn't. And remember, there was religious freedom. And that's why it's so important. Just because the Lamanite king had converted doesn't mean that he forced his people to convert. He gave them their freedom to choose. And some chose not to follow. For example, not one Amulonite was converted. And only one Amalekite was. And I just think it's cool that Mormon could have just completely just generalized, but he included that one that did. And do you remember these groups? These are actually Nephite dissenters who are living amongst the Lamanites. And we'll talk more about them next week. But what we need to know for this week is that these groups of dissenters were very active in stirring up the Lamanites to get their anger to rise up against those who are converting. And two interesting points. The first one is that Mormon takes time to list the cities where the Lamanites were converted. And not one of those cities was near or belonged to one of those Nephite dissenter groups. So the Lamanites that lived near those Nephite dissenters, they did not convert. They were so influenced by these dissenters. Isn't that interesting? And then number two They were of the order of Nehor. (laughs) And I'm sure that the same conflict that Alma experienced with the people of Ammonihah, I'm sure that is happening over the doctrine in those lands. Anyway, as much as the Lamanites were working hard at putting off their pride and no longer fighting against God or their brethren, there were those who didn't accept the teachings of Ammon and his brethren, and they were growing in their contention and their hate towards their brethren. And this is a perfect example how we don't need to wait until the other party is willing to see us as their brother too. We are not limited by their thought processes. We can completely begin this mentality on our own. We are completely 100% in charge of our agency, which is our thoughts, our feelings, our actions. That's where our light resides 
and we don't need to wait for others to get on board. Now, don't get me wrong. It's really nice to have cooperation, and it's really easy to love those who are trying to do like you're doing, right? But it isn't necessary. You have the power to create your thoughts and your feelings of brotherhood right now, and then take action from there. Meanwhile, the king of the Lamanites and the others, they desired a new name. They wanted it to set them apart from their wicked ways. And the name that they chose was Anti-Nephi-Lehi. Now to us, Anti means against. And that doesn't sound too brotherly towards Nephi and Lehi, right? But that's not the case here. And I'm grateful for the Book of Mormon Institute that teaches us that Anti may be the reflex of Egyptian N-T-Y, which means he of, the one of. So that makes sense because the meaning of Anti-Nephi-Lehi then becomes those of Nephi and Lehi. And I can see the rub that would be happening here. Can you? The Lamanite society is being fundamentally changed for the better, but it is still change and not everyone is on board with it. Those that desire to continue to align themselves with Laman and Lemuel, they're struggling about this. So what are the traditions of the Lamanites when there is conflict to be resolved? They prepare to take up arms. In chapter 24, Mormon makes it clear that the Nephite dissenters were instrumental in stirring up the Lamanites to anger against the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. I just wonder what would have happened if the Lamanites hadn't listened to them, right? But they did, and the Lamanites began to rebel against their king. They prepared to go to battle with their brethren in order, this is their desire, this is their intent, to destroy the king and then to place someone else in his position. And they also desired to destroy the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. They couldn't live side by side with them, apparently. Meanwhile, the king of the Lamanites dies, and he makes his son king, and his son has taken upon himself the name of anti-Nephi-Lehi as well. And the people even know that the Lamanites are preparing to come up against them. But there was not one soul among these converts that desired to take up arms against their brethren. And that's proof of change, isn't it? Where once these people had been so reactive, they would fight even without evidence. We have have stories about that in the Book of Mormon. But now they're operating in this version of themselves. It's a higher version of themselves. And they're no longer placing people into boxes, but they're only seeing them as their brothers. Is there someone in your life that you need to do the work of restoring brotherhood with? Maybe it's a family relationship, co-workers or neighbors. Maybe it's a ward member. Maybe it's learning to love your children's friends or their significant others. Maybe it's even learning to unite with yourself and stop all that self-hatred and opposition, all that cruel talk and shame you do. Whether it's intimate relationships or a desire to be a uniter in a divisive world, pay attention to how the anti-Nephi-Lehi's adopted this attribute. First, it was all in their perspective. It was one of gratitude. Gathering his people, the king, King Anti-Nephi-Lehi, thanked God 
for his goodness in sending Ammon and his brethren to teach them how their traditions had been wicked. <laughs> like this is the equivalent of saying, thanks for showing me I'm wrong. <laughs> Not many of us really like to say that, right? But another way to look at this is being grateful for added light, for being grateful for being taken out of the dark, being grateful for being taught a more holier way of operating and behaving, gratitude for no longer being ignorant and being hurtful to others in that ignorance. How has God given you more light? How is this conflict that you've maybe looked at so bad actually a gift to you? And then what gifts have you been given to actually help change happen? Second, the king thanked God for granting them a portion of his spirit to soften their hearts. Are you in need of your heart being softened? Is your pride still holding on to you? How is that natural man calling all the shots and just not letting your true identity speak? What attribute of God's are you in need of developing and then practicing? Maybe that's all that this conflict is. An opportunity, a lesson for you to practice a Christ-like attribute. King Anti-Nephi-Lehi then thanked God for opening up a way for the Lamanites to be convinced of their sins. How is this conflict actually opening up your vision of you? Is there something that you are in need of changing? Maybe you've always wanted to improve it and this is your chance. (laughs) Life is a classroom and it is full of learning opportunities. When we look at life as a test, we think we have to be perfect in every circumstance. And if that's the case, then why would we need the atonement? But life is a classroom and we are just being, we're putting pressure on, on ourselves believing that we have to do things perfectly when really life is giving us the lessons to teach us, to help us move towards perfection. How much suffering are you experiencing because you're resisting being wrong? Finally, the king thanked God for the relief that they eventually all found. He thanked God for granting them the opportunity to repent and for God taking away the guilt from their hearts. Doing this through the mercy of Jesus Christ. No wonder the anti-Nephi-Lehi's never wanted to move backwards in their relationship with God. This had been a huge process for them. Remember, change takes time. It literally was. It was a ripping out of their hearts and inserting a new one. It took changing of neural pathways to make new thoughts and new instincts be there. This was a changing of their temperament and self-regulating and taking personal accountability. It was envisioning what they could become if they adopted God's ways. And this change took from them All that they could do. This wasn't easy. This wasn't fast. No bada beam, bada boom here. (laughs) The king refers to them as being the most lost of mankind. And for them to go from that starting point to a point of brotherhood took all their faith, 
coupled with the power of the atonement, and it wasn't cheap. What would you be like if the guilt that you're carrying around, maybe identifying as hurt or anger, what if that was just taken away from you? Can you imagine feeling lighter? I wonder what you could then go and do. What could you go and create with all that buoyancy that you now have? Their change took the precious blood of Jesus Christ, but his blood washed them clean and their swords were no longer stained with their sins. And the danger now that they faced was that no longer were they ignorant. If they took up arms against their brethren, would they ever be able to be washed bright again? And many times I've read this wondering, why are they putting a limit on the atonement of Jesus Christ? But I no longer misjudge them. That was my error. I believe they full on knew how merciful God was and how real the atonement of Jesus Christ was. Because not only had they been forgiven of their murders, but then he just bestowed all of his blessings upon them as if they had never occurred but also, I believe they very much knew their vulnerability. They knew that dark wolf that hid inside them, that natural man, that if even given a taste for old ways, would be so difficult to tame once again, because it had taken everything that they had to get to rip him out. And they cherished it. They reverenced it, really. And they weren't willing to walk the line. The people covenanted with God that they would rather give up their own lives instead of shedding the blood of their brother. That they would rather give to their brother instead of take from him. And that they would labor abundantly with their hands instead of spending all their days in idleness. They buried their weapons as a testimony of the atonement of Jesus Christ of their cleansing, of their new name. And when their brethren, I won't use the word enemy, because they didn't, and I want to honor them. But when their brethren came upon them, what did they do? They walked out to meet their brothers, and they prostrated themselves on the ground, and they called upon the name of the Lord. So with absolutely no resistance, The Lamanites came upon them and they slew 1,005 souls. Souls that weren't fleeing, who weren't defending themselves, but were actually lying there and praising their God even as they perished. Now, what would your conflicts be like if you implemented these behaviors? What if you let go of the resistance? Just let it go. Make yourself available. Listen with an open heart, no defending, no resisting. Just sit there believing that you are safe, listening to the words of others and knowing that you are 100% in God's eyes. It reminds me of this scene in a movie about Mr. Rogers and uh, Tom Hanks is playing Mr. Rogers and this surly reporter was trying to interview him and he didn't want to. He didn't want to spend his time interviewing Mr. Rogers. And it was obvious that the reporter just, he wanted to find some dirt on him. But Mr. Rogers, what did he do? No resistance. 
He opened his heart to him, invited him into his studio, invited him into his apartment. And while they sat there, this reporter brought up kind of a controversial topic, I guess. I guess Mr. Rogers' sons had expressed how difficult it was having him as a father. And so the reporter dug into this point. And instead of being resistant, and though there was a look of hurt in his eyes, Mr. Rogers took a pause before responding and he breathed in. And he thanked the reporter for his perspective. I believe he thanked him for giving him something to think about. No defending, no resisting. That's incredible, right? That had a, that had a profound impact on me as I watched that. That was Christ-like. The effects that all of this had, though, on the Lamanites who didn't convert is also pretty incredible. Imagine being one of them. You had the opportunity to receive the teachings, but you rejected it. And there you are with 1,005 souls just released from their bodies because of your sword. And they hadn't resisted you at all. In fact, they died praising the God that they loved. That impacted the Lamanites. It didn't impact the Nephite dissenters. That's interesting, isn't it? But it did impact the Lamanites. And more Lamanites threw down their weapons of war and joined the anti-Nephi-Lehi's on that day than the number of the anti-Nephi-Lehi's that were killed. Are you looking for change in your life? If so, immerse yourself in the scriptures. Do you want to decrease the fear you're experiencing? If so, eliminate your pride. Work on that fear. Recognize you're safe. Do you desire to see others as brethren and not enemies? Then the only box that you should be putting yourself in is the one with the name of Jesus Christ upon it. And then invite others to join you. Do you desire to have the atonement work in your life and change you? Then express gratitude to God for exposing you to righteousness and truth, for giving you a portion of his spirit to soften your heart, and for convincing you of where you went wrong so that you can go and do something about it, so you can use the atonement of Jesus Christ. Spend less time resisting and instead fully embrace the fact that you're just learning so he can heal you and take away that heavy guilt upon your heart. You'll be better equipped to face whatever comes your way. All right, make it a good one.